and gals for your music. Good to see each one of you here today. Trust you're having a good day. Well, last week uh, we began a just a bit of a, a breakaway from the sense of what is our purpose? Why are we here? Did we just... Excuse me? That's right. You're jumping ahead of me, but that's good. <laughs> Actually repeating what we did last week. But uh, I thought it was, was certainly worth our time to, to get a sense of where, where are, are we're here, so why are we here? What is, what is our purpose? How does it all fit together? And I would, we started last week, and this week I'd like to continue on. There's uh, kind of the what, the why, and the how. And last week we started to talk about the how. But before we go any further, let's just pause for prayer. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your wonderful creation that you've given to us. We thank you, Father, that we're part of that that you saw fit to make us in your image. Father, I pray for each one that's here today that you would bless them and their families. Father, be with them in this coming week. Allow them to see you through a lens that you've given, the Scriptures, that they would be to see you more clearly than ever. Father, we would ask today that you would open our minds, our hearts, our lives, everything that makes us us. And we would ask, Father, that you would guide us, may the truth penetrate us. May the Word of God infiltrate us. And Father, we would ask that today that the Holy Spirit would exclusively and be our teacher, our guide, and our comforter. We thank you for what you're going to do today. Uh, protect your words. And we ask now again for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we think about... Uh, our purpose for being here, we talked last week as we opened up, and today will be a bit of a review just to bring us all back together, if you will. But one of the things is I can, I can assure you today that you're not here by accident. You didn't just happen, thank goodness. No evolution or some of the other uh, worldviews would have it that you just showed up. It's just pure happenstance. Well, I'd like to take you to the Scriptures and, and make sure that we uh, get it from God's perspective. In Psalm chapter 139... In verse 13 through 16, it declares for us, and as you're going there, you think about in Genesis chapter 1 that God made male and female in His image. He created man in His own image, and thinking about that is, is really quite remarkable. But in verse 13 of chapter 139 of Psalm, it said, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. That's, a, that's an amazing thing to think that the eternal God that created all the things that we see and that we can't even possibly know the extremities of, that same God made you. And He made you perfectly and for a reason. That should cheer you on. Now, that doesn't mean that every day will be awesome, but every day is His day. And it's a day that He's made with you in mind. Now, what do we live? Do we live that way? Well, we talked a bit about that last week as well. And as you're going there, let's go to Isaiah chapter 43 for a second. Isaiah chapter 43, as again, we see from, the, from Isaiah's perspective, um, the importance of how God sees us and what He's designed us for. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, 
I have made him. That's God's perspective on man. He has made him for his very glory. Now, one of some of the things that, that man lives for, and we, we put some of those on the board last week. Uh, let's just review. There was, what was up on the board last week? There was power, power. Money. money, fame. Man, we're going somewhere now, aren't we? Those are things that are really worth living for, right? Money, power, and fame. Gold. <laughs> Gold, yeah, that's right. That's part of the money thing, isn't it? But, but to think of all of those things that, that propel us in the sense of success in the society have such a dire and short life, don't they? And none of that can go with you. They don't have any U-Hauls behind the hearses. There's no way to take any of those things with you. And yet, if we spend all of our days chasing after those things, it really is vanity. We talked about also the sense of uh, chasing after happiness. Uh, those folks that have a tremendous amount of those things, fame, uh, money, power, um, they are really seeking after happiness, trying to make that their, their sole purpose. And guess what happens? Absolutely impossible to find happiness if that is your sole desire and purpose. It will never ever happen. It will be as fleeting as you can imagine. But God has some really cool stuff for us. Uh, one of the things, the verses that we went to last week, uh, one of the, I guess maybe just, I'll again back up for a moment. Uh, glory, that's a word that we almost in some sense is a cliche. We'll say the glory of God or to glorify God. Sometimes we say that with really not thinking about the full extent of what that might be. Now, God has intrinsic glory Himself. Just the very essence of who God is, He demands glory from everything just because He made it. I mean, think of that. Uh, if there's ever one any worthy to receive glory, that is honor, it would be God. It says in Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1 that the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, we've read now already that we as human beings made in His image that uh, our purpose is to bring glory to Him. One of the questions that we might ask uh, is, how do we do that? And that's what we, what we spent a great deal of time last week about. But how do we glorify God? How do we bring glory to Him? Well, the first and foremost, the, the starting point, if you will, is for you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're here today, uh, there's one thing that's absolutely without fail to be the source of not only in this room, but all across the world, every person that's ever been born is born according to uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. You're born with a sin nature. You are a sinner. There's nothing that you could do to stop or change that. That is the problem that we inherited when Adam and Eve, when they went in the Garden of Eden, and we could go back there. I'll not do it today, uh, but reviewing just real quickly, uh, back in Genesis uh, Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden. What a perfect place. It was called perfect. It was a paradise. As, uh, we've, you know, has anybody been to Paradise Valley there south of Livingston? Uh, beautiful place, but that's not the paradise that, that Adam and Eve were in. It was perfect. Nothing lacking, nothing needing, zero, zero, zero. One of the things also as you think about for God to glorify, to be glorified, He wants to be loved. God wants to be loved by, his, by mankind. But the only way that you can do that is to offer free choice. So in the midst of this garden was a tree. And he had told them, 
don't eat of that tree. Now, it wasn't that that was the only tree that had any nutrition. They didn't eat it, and it was all fine until guess who comes along? The serpent or Satan comes along, and he says, did God really withhold that from you? It's the very often same, the same way he throws sin or temptation towards you. I can't believe that that would be something would be withheld from you. God certainly does not care about you. I must think that you're going to doubt God's love, not giving you everything you could possibly want or need. And Eve, hmm, I never thought of it that way before. And as he continues to entice her, um, and that literally is the word that's used to deceive or deceit, it's almost like it's the same word we find for fish hook. Now, for fish, a fish hook is a diabolical thing, isn't it? And we've tried to bait it or taint it with something that would attract them. And Satan knew exactly what would be the thing that Eve would want above all. And that is to be more wise, more smart, and literally be on top of her world. And self would become number one. And boy, did that sell. You show me today, even across our best-selling list in the, New York top, in, the, in the New York top sellers list, is the fact how to look out for number one. Number one is self. Self, 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 self. Did you notice I said self? And that's really, it's been so ever since that day in the garden. That day, God was replaced by self. Wow. And you know what happened. Paradise turned into not so much. As she succumbed to that temptation of throwing God away to put self on the throne, Everything changed. Everything changed. At that point, then everything in the sense of sinfulness is to fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, 23. And the other thing is, is the wages. Uh, if you work for a job, you get wages. You get pay. Or you're supposed to. How's that? And the Bible also says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin, the payment for sin, is death. That's what you ultimately get. And our world actually has followed that perfectly from the, from the get-go. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were removed from the garden. And death and sin, our sin and death continue to play out. Still does today. There's still obituaries in the paper. So the first and foremost way for God to receive glory is he set up a perfect plan. God has a really big problem. He's created man in his image. And there they are, and they really messed up. So now what am I going to do with them? I'm going to just wipe the slate clean and start over. Now, that's probably what I would have done. Have you ever had a really big mess, whatever it might be? And you say, you know what? The best thing right now is to start over. But God in his wisdom said, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, it says that before the foundation of the world, he created this plan of salvation, which was perfect. And it was before he made anything else, because he knew in his foreknowledge and all of his sovereignty of who makes him God, that they would have a problem and I'm here to fix it. I love problems that have a fix. Open-ended problems that have no way of being fixed. Big problem. But God said, I've got a plan. I've got a major plan. In fact, it's going to be part of the very essence of God himself. Jesus Christ, God's son, came at just the right time, it says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. At the fullness of times, Jesus Christ came. And we're approaching a season of which we commemorate that, where Jesus Christ humbled himself to the point of even being a small baby in a foreign land. Just think of that. That's God. And he lives 33 years on this earth. 
has followers for three years. It looks like they're going to win. They're going to take over. In fact, if you think of, put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a second. What did they think Jesus was here for? To conquer Rome, right? And first of all, he came to seek and save those that were lost internally to take care of the sin problem. That was much more important than ultimately. I mean, he's coming again. The Bible's clear. Second coming. He's coming again. This time he's coming with power and victory in the sense of ruling and reigning over everything that was his from the very beginning. But the first time, he needed to take care of the important things first, and that was to take care of the heart problem, the sin problem, the thing that we couldn't fix. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. And he, he paid the price. As he hung on a cross, really his life's blood shed on Calvary's tree. And when he said it is finished, when he died that death and was placed in that tomb, there was still a time period, and the disciples were devastated. What do you mean? Where did my Jesus go? He's dead? All of these three years of us following and thinking we're going to be in the Roman, we're going to conquer the Romans in Israel once and for all, we'll be in the kingdom age and we'll never ever lose again. And he's dead. What happened? Think of those moments. Those disciples are walking to Emmaus, just that short distance to Jerusalem, had given up. They had said, it's all for naught. We've lost everything. And Jesus just pops in and says, what are you guys sad about? And He lifts them up from reading the Scriptures. But to think now, when He was in the grave, when He was dead, that was a very, what shall we say, tenuous time. What if He stayed in the grave? What if He would have never risen from the dead? Then I wouldn't be here today. I'd be gone. I'd be somewhere because He would be no different than anyone else that claimed to be a Messiah or a Savior or a whatever, because those, Muhammad included, I could go on and on, and all of those are still lying in a grave. Jesus, however, rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds of people, His disciples on no less than at least three occasions, <laughs> and they all, to prove that, they died a martyr's death. Now, when's the last time that you would die for a lie? I wouldn't. If I knew Jesus Christ was still in that grave and He had not risen from the dead, as He had claimed to do before He even died, I would never take a martyr's death. And each and every one of those, aside from Judas Iscariot, who sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, he was seeking fame and money, of which he sorely, sorely regretted. Think of that. There's that Jesus. Now, the first way to glorify God, because it says even when Jesus, remember on that, on that the Garden of Gethsemane, just the night before, it was the night He was betrayed, and just the day before He'd be crucified, He said, oh, that this cup would pass from Me. But He said, no, to glorify God, I'm going to do what needs to be done. Now, to think that He did that for each and every one of you in this room and everyone across this world for all time, past and future, is truly amazing that that could get done. But when we confess our sins, when we say, Lord Jesus, I come to you because I'm a sinner. I can't stop sinning. That's just who I am. And I repent of those sins. I accept you. I trust you to be my Savior, looking to the future. You are the only way for me to be saved. And when you receive Jesus Christ that way, just that simple, just with, within the very essence of the quietness of your heart, you become a brand new person. Never the same. A brand new creature, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 
never to be the same again. And that is the first way to glorify or to give honor to God is to confess those sins before Jesus Christ. Do you become a new person in him? Because that's what actually happens. God gets the glory. God gets the glory. But there's a second way we talked about last week as well. Once you've trusted Christ as Savior, there's another way that God is glorified, and that is through trusting Him. And I'm not trusting, not trusting even for your sin, but every day. And we took an example. We talked about Abram. And Abram was a man that was in the Mesopotamia area, and God just came to him out of the blue and said, you know what, I want you to take you and your family, and I want to take you to a new place. No maps, no videos, no complete dissertations of where he's going, just I'm going to take you somewhere. You just follow me. How does that sound? It sounds great if you knew where you were going and it was all going to unfold, right? Not a clue. In fact, he ended up going 900 miles to a place he'd never been before, never knew about. And God also made some promises. God promised this. He said, you know what, Abram, I'm going to go ahead and bless you beyond belief. As far as the sand is of the sea and as the stars in the sky, that's the way your descendants will be. Now, at that point, when he said that, how many heirs, how many sons or how many kids did he have? Zero. How old is Abram when he took that promise? He was 75. This is looking dim right from the start, doesn't it? What do you mean I'm going to have descendants like the... I don't have one. And the time wait, it was on, wasn't it? Now, he had, a, he had a choice, just like you do today. Will you trust God with the future, or will you not trust Him? When you trust God, you glorify Him, you give Him honor. And it said, in, let's go to Romans chapter 4, those of you who hit your Bibles. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20, it tells us that literally Abram trusted God. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. Actually, uh, we'll go back to verse 19. It says this, And being not weak in faith, speaking of Abram, Romans chapter 4 verse 19, He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, I told you, what did, Larry, I thought you just said he was 75. Yes, yes, he was 75 when God gave the promise. So he's waited for 25 years for the first son. Now that's cool, isn't it? The trust factor there? Whoa! How many of you have waited 25 years for something? Very good. And it's fun, isn't it? <laughs> it's not. But you know what? When you trust God with what He has promised, He is glorified. He is given honor. You resonate. You radiate His glory, actually, because that trust is revealed essentially in your very person. Now, for 25 years, nothing happened except, except the plans that Abram thought God needed. And Sarah, they got together and said, well, you know what? I think we've got a plan. We can help God out. Have you ever tried to help God out and speed Him up? Oh, you don't need to be so coy back there. I can, it's, we've all tried to help God out. We've all tried to speed things up. And Abram and Sarah said, let's use Hagar. And that, that, that was uh, Sarah's um, servant girl that she'd gotten from Egypt, which I'm still trying to figure out why they went to Egypt. So there was a drought. God didn't tell them to go there. That was some of the baggage that came home. Have you ever went somewhere without God really wanting to go and you had baggage when you came back home? Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. And the baggage usually gets us in a lot of trouble. But sure enough... Hagar 
And Abram had a son, and his name was Ishmael. And Ishmael was the father of the Arabs. And I don't need to lead you too far down this path. The reason the Arabs and the Jews cannot get along today is because of what happened when Abram was trying to get ahead of God. And for 25 years, he was learning his way and trusting. But he did, ultimately. Now, there was breaks in the trust, but literally at the end, he still believed God for what he said he would do. It had nothing to do with anything else. It wasn't circumcision. It wasn't being in the right place at the right time. It was the fact that he trusted God. And that is one of the greatest ways to glorify or to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, is to trust Him. I'd like to give you one more example of that. A man that waited a long time. Now, I was, if I'm going to ask you how long, has anybody waited 120 years for something to happen? If somebody raises their hand, you've got a problem or you're older than I think you are, right? But there was a man in the Old Testament, and his name was Noah. And Noah stood out from the rest of the world's population. He was one that really was seeking to do righteousness in a world that had gone crazy. In fact, if you think our world is crazy today, you think our society has lost it. Uh, by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying they haven't, but comparatively, Noah was unreal in how he stood firm for what God wanted him to do. And God said, I want you to make me an ark. I, I want you to make an ark to protect your family from flooding. Now, what would you do with that? Now, first of all, there's some things that you need to know that you don't today that Noah didn't know then. It had never rained at all when Noah was on the earth. Never rained once. Never needed to. Because they had this canopy, if it was like a greenhouse thing, and you just walked in, well, you were part of it, and there was always just enough rain and moisture to make everything cool. It was great. And God said, it's going to flood the earth completely. Oh, you mean like the one back in, uh, remember, we've, we, you know, we can remember bad winters or bad floods. What would have Noah pointed back to? There wasn't one. There was, it hadn't even rained. It hadn't even rained a quarter inch. Think of that. God said, well, you're going to need an ark because you're going to have to be in a flood. You, you will protect your family by getting in this ark. Okay, cool. I'm going to trust you with that. Good enough. Hey, honey, uh, I met with God today, and God said that there's going to be a flood. A what? A flood. What is a flood? It's rain. It rains a lot. When it what a lot? She hadn't heard of a flood about rain either. But he said, no, we just need to trust God with this. We need to trust God. She said, whatever you say. So he orders the materials. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but somewhere he had to get this stuff, right? Because God told him what to build. That was a really cool thing. He gave him the plans. It wasn't like, I'll just make an ark. That's your job. No, he gave him the plans. He showed him exactly how to make it. And then he waited 120 years. And the neighbors walking by, Noah's garage and his, you know, the, the ark would have taken up the whole property probably, right, on the front lawn. What are you doing there, Noah? I'm making an ark. Come again? An ark. What's that for? Well, when the earth floods, God told me to make one, and I'm going to, the family will go in and, when it what? When it floods. Do you, do, you, do you see the incredibleness of all of this? And he would have taken that day after day. Oh, I suppose this is like, let's take, let's just pop into like year 50. Still think the flood's coming, Noah? <laughs> right? How about year 100? How about year 120? How about Noah now? We okay, God? <laughs> Never, you never see him wavering. Never see him wavering. In fact, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 for a moment. 
See, what I want to see that the trust levels that we're sometimes asked to do, sometimes it's just for one week. And we, I'm, I'm talking, maybe I should just talk to me. It's amazing how little faith that I have at times. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. 11, 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, that's what we've been talking about, moved with fear or awe, you know, that he respected God, he wanted to honor him, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness which is by faith. In one verse, succinctly, that man's life was literally wrapped up in he glorified God by trusting what God told him. Now, we have even better. We have a Bible here. We have God's Word. We have the owner's manual of which there's promises within that we either trust or we treat with unbelief. Now, let me show you. It's either one or the other, too. Now, there's a, there's a middle ground. There's doubt. If you really have never heard this and you don't know about it, then let your doubt move you toward the belief, okay? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tenuous area to be. But if you go the different, be unbelief and belief, let me show you something. Um, where was I going to go? Um, what was I just telling you about? All right, well, that means it's gone, so we'll just move on. How about that? <laughs> Seemed appropriate. What the world was it, though? Bugging me now. Okay, not there. Let's, uh, are you talking about, no. Oh, there is, there is, there is. Let's go to Romans, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, chapter 6 of Ephesians. And talking about the, the, the weapons we have and we're going to talk about military, and one of the things I'm thankful for is I'm thankful for our military and, and those that have provided protection for the freedoms that we have in this country. It truly is amazing what God has blessed America with, ultimately. It's, it, it truly is amazing. Even in the Revolutionary War, and we think of all of those battles that George Washington and, and his cohorts were leading and going, there is not a shred, a shred of reason that we should have, have succeeded against the greatest nation on the earth, that being Britain. But God intervened because we, as, a, as those forefathers, they wanted to be able to worship God freely. They wanted to give their praise to a God and worship to a God. The same God we're worshiping today. It's the same one. And God looked and He says, you know what? I'm going to honor that. And this nation has been so great in its past. I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned where we're going. The things that we're throwing out the window, out the door, that we're, give, that we're literally just letting the enemy come in, letting him have a beachhead, if you will, using a military term, that Satan now has entrenched himself in the freedoms of this nation that are amazing. But I'm still thankful that our God reigns. Our God is in control. He has never relinquished one iota. It's we that have given up. Remain faithful to the fight. Remain now, these wars, this, this, uh, the weapons of armor that Paul is talking about, the one that I'd like to uh, particularly pay attention to is this one that we find in Ephesians chapter 6. And let's look at verse 16. Again, we've been talking about trust, we've been talking about faith. It says, above all, verse 16, above all. Now, I should go back, but I'm going to have you do that. Go ahead and start for yourselves in, in chapter 6 and verse uh, 12. 11 or 12, and it'll roll you right into how we need to daily equip ourselves. If you're trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I would start in the morning and read 
Ephesians chapter 6, and get all of the whole armor of God upon you because I'm telling you what, it's a wicked world out there. There's a lot of stuff coming at you. And sometimes, as I said, it's five minutes at a time. But get your armor on. And here in verse 16 of chapter 6, it says, Above all, this is more important than anything, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Satan is throwing all of those, those darts of doubt and when you have your shield of faith on, and that was a big shield that actually would be in the frontal of your body, it would literally, even there were flaming darts, it would be lit on fire so that they would try to do even more harm and damage. That shield of faith put out those fiery darts of doubt. Put that on. Put that on. So if we review just for a second and you say, well, that's all we've done so far today, that is correct. That's what I, I want to make sure that we, we reiterate the things that we've done. And, and first of all, First and foremost is the fact that God receives glory when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, which you can do by yourself in your own heart because He and you are the ones that do business. Secondarily, uh, God receives a great deal of glory from, him, from you trusting in Him. Last week we also looked, we'll be brief here, the sense of, of producing fruit. We went to John chapter 15 and He is the vine and you are the branches and for you to be fruitful and the fruit... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such there is no law. You think of all of those things that come from the inside of you. You don't manufacture those things, literally fruit, just like on an apple tree. You don't, you don't talk to your apple tree and say, you better make some fruit or else. You say, you're really weird. Yes, right, it would be weird for me to talk to my apple tree. Fruit comes from within. It's from with the very DNA of that, of that plant, of that tree. And it's just like us, when we have Jesus Christ that you've confessed as your Lord and Savior, something changes inside the strength. All of the things that make you a Christian, those are the things that the Holy Spirit, which comes upon you and lives within you the day, the moment that you trust Christ, He is yours. Think of that for a second. And through that power, through that strength, then you become fruitful. John chapter 15 is all about that. And your fruitfulness literally glorifies God. In fact, let us go to John 15. We'll go there just momentarily. John chapter 15, and let's look at verse 8. John 15 and verse 8. <clears throat> John 15. Herein, watch again, we're looking to glorify God, to bring honor to Him. Herein is my Father, Jesus, is, Jesus Christ's own words, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Exactly. That's what fruitfulness does, is it doesn't bring glory to you, it brings glory to the Father. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 11, let's go there just momentarily. Uh, Philippians 1, 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Look at that. Again, putting that all together, Philippians 1, verse 11. Another thing that uh, brings glory to God is praising Him, praising Him. And you say, well, how do you do that? Let's go to Psalm chapter 50 for a moment. Psalm chapter 50 and verse 23. Psalm 50, verse 23. How do you praise God? Uh, Psalm chapter 50, verse 23. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. When you lift up God's name, when you praise him, when you honor him, that literally glorifies him as well. Now, one of the things that you can do to do that is to recite the past. I look back in the Old Testament, I look at some of those Old Testament prophets. One of them I, sticks out in my mind today is Habakkuk. That's that one we studied some weeks back. And Habakkuk was having a really bad life. 
It was terrible. In fact, the whole nation had completely fallen apart. It was terrible. And he was saying, God, how long are you going to let this go on? It'd be almost like us. How long are you going to let this go on? Have you been praying that? I have been. How long, God, are you going to let this go on? Let's, let's get going. And Habakkuk got an answer from God. And God said, you're right, I've been listening, and something is going to happen. In fact, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans, those from Babylon, and I'm going to kind of like wipe out Israel and make them remember where they came from. You know what that did for Habakkuk? It was worse than nothing. He said, wait a minute. Those are the creeps that kill babies and, and, uh, and that mess up everything. They, they're, they're evil killers. They're, they're so wicked I can't even believe it. And you're going to use those people to discipline your people? That doesn't even make any sense, right? Where are you at in that? And you know what Habakkuk started to do in chapter 2 and chapter 3 was he began to recite what had happened in the past of what God had done and how He had brought that nation Israel from nowhere, all through those steps, parting the Red Sea. That would have a story that would last few, few, few generations. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm telling your grandson, granddaughter, it was amazing. There we were. We were boxed in. Here come the Egyptians. They're finally, they've let us go, and now they're going to kill us. And we've got our backs to the Red Sea. And we look at Moses and say, what are you doing? And Moses cries out to God. And then all of a sudden, we watch Moses, and he puts his staff on the sea, and it splits. And we walk through on dry ground. Really, Grandpa? Really. In fact, it was so crazy. If you even read the test, if you read in the Old Testament about Rahab, remember she was from the Gentile people way far away, actually a long ways away. And that was where ultimately they went and conquered that city, Jericho. She said, We have heard about your God parting the Red Sea. Whose glory was that? That was God's glory. He got the glory. And you see, sometimes in your lives, when it's so difficult and the trials are so tough, when you trust God and you rely on Him, to watch those doors, those gates, those seas part so that you can walk through a storm, God gets the glory. Now, I'm one that likes to pray for me to get out of the storm. I just assume that I get out of the storm. Lord, why don't you take me out of this storm? You know what He usually does? He takes the storm out of me as we go through it together. Because guess who gets the glory? God does. That's really cool. That's how God likes to work. Well, as we praise Him, we recite His works in the past. One part of which is very uh, applicable to this very day is the sense of giving thanks to Him. Well, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Um, a marvelous verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 tells us how we are to respond with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, "...in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ." concerning you. In everything, give thanks. And you say, whoa, that's not easy. No, that's not easy. But it's amazing how God can be thanked regardless of circumstances or situation that you're involved because He is before and after any event that has taken place. In fact, let's go to Psalm chapter 16. I think this would be a good time right now. Psalm chapter 16, and let's look at something as it's laid out. This is David, and I want you to see how he is always God is always in front of him. He's always aiming at having God with him. That's Psalm chapter 16 and verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Those two verses are amazing because David's full focus is in the matter of keeping God in front of everything else that he's doing. 
He wants him involved in everything that he's up to. Now, I want to show you something that is actually a very sad account. Let's turn to Luke chapter 17 for a moment. Luke chapter 17. And it was a time that Jesus was going through and there was 10 lepers that were healed. Now, leprosy is, a, is an insidious thing that actually eats the flesh away. And uh, you were not in a very good shape if leprosy was part of what was taking place to you. And uh, we could go into that further. But let's go to Luke chapter 17 and I'd like to start in verse 11. Now, again, keeping in mind the sense of, well, let's just read it. We'll let, we'll let the passage take care of itself. It came to pass as he went, this is Jesus, went to Jerusalem, then he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. As he entered into a certain village there, met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, why does it say that they stood afar off? That's right, because if you were a leper, uh, the only way that they could contain it from spreading was for them to be removed or quarantined to be away from the rest of the people. So from a distance, they were crying to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, verse 14, he said unto them, go and show yourselves unto the priests. Because that was part of the, the, the regiment. Well, if, if you were cured or, you were, or, or leprosy had had been healed, I'll say that, then the priest would say, yeah, that's exactly right. You are pure and clean now. Go ahead. You're free to go into the public, into the, into public okay? Now, did you see what Jesus said? He said, just go show yourselves to the priests. Why would we want to do that? We're lepers. But you know what? They went. They went, and now watch. What would Now, stop for a second. Now, you've never had leprosy, but just for a minute, slip into one of their sandals and imagine how terrible life must have been having that disease. And then, could you even imagine having that to, be, to disappear, for that to end in your life, to be back to normal? It would be too much to almost honestly believe. And yet, what if that would happen? What would you do to that person that would have taken that scourge away from you? What would you, what would you think about? What would you do? I'm trying to lead the witness. I would thank him, right? So let's watch what happens. Let's watch what happens. When, they, when he saw them, he said, them, go show yourselves unto the priest. And it, went, and it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. In other words, on the way to the priest, not, not like, look at you. You don't have leprosy anymore. It wasn't like that. He said to go to the priest. Let's go to the priest. Do you see the sense of faith and trust again entering into this? If they wouldn't have went, I don't know. Maybe nothing would have happened. But they did on their way. And there's they're going, well, Joe, I don't know why we're going. Look at that. Look at you, right? So you got 10 of these guys going to the priest, and they're healed on their way going. <laughs> Let's keep going. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Now, why would he say he was a Samaritan? Why would Jesus throw that out there? No, that's exactly right. They were not only not a thought of highly, they were actually seen as almost a scourge to Israel. They were treated as dogs. As bad as that sounds, that's really what the Scripture says. And here's the one out of the ten. We know that we don't know the rest of them, but one of the ten came back who was, would have been the one that would be the least likely to have thanked Jesus. But he fell at his feet, and guess who was glorified? 
Jesus was glorifying ultimately God because of the healing that took place. Again, a very bad day turned into a good day, and guess what? Glory, God is glorified. And he's the one out of 10. That's a really bad percentage. I'm wondering what it is in the United States on Thanksgiving Day. What will be the effects of our populace in this nation really thanking God for all of the blessings that we partake of? Or will we just call it Turkey Day and watch a football game and just go on with life? That, I'm afraid, is the most common theme and the most common presence that takes place on Thanksgiving Day in the United States of America today. We call it Turkey Day, we watch a football game, and we eat till we can't eat anymore, and that's the end of it. We've lost our way, haven't we? One of the ways to praise Him is to thank God for what He's provided. Be thankful in all situations. Now, watch this, Jesus answering, verse 17. I love this. Um, as this guy, uh, let's just call him Joe. Here comes Joe the Samaritan, and he falls down on Jesus' feet, and he praises God, and he says, thank you. Jesus says, I thought there was 10 of you. Right? <laughs> what does he respond? He says, uh, uh, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found this return to give glory to God, save this stranger. See, he responds that way. He says to him, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And I believe that was even beyond the sense of leprosy. The very fact of he coming back to Jesus Christ, seeing him as the sole source, that was a soul thing. That was a salvation thing of which he really partook. Think of that now, the lack of thanksgiving on a whole. And yet, that was how God was glorified. That's how he was glorified. Giving him credit. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. <clears throat> There in a second. I got this new Bible Lisa gave to me, and it's still not broke in. You know what I mean? How my other one would just kind of like fall open. But uh, here we go. First Corinthians chapter fifteen and verse ten says this: "But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me." Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul is basically saying, you know what? In every situation, it's all about God. It's all His grace. It's all to His glory. It's all to His glory. Another way that we can glorify God is to be content. Now, let's look at a passage of Scripture that reveals that to us. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Now, it's amazing how much easier that contentment becomes when we're thankful. Have you noticed that? <laughs> when you're not thankful, not a lot of contentment going on, right? When you're not thankful, not a lot of joy going on, right? Thankfulness is really the gateway to so many things that you literally can just feel good about. Thanksgiving is a wonderful gateway into God's blessings. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, let's look at verse 11. Uh, we'll start in verse 10, verse 10. Now, Paul would have been, let's, let's rehearse and know those of you that have been here for some period of time know that every time I go to Philippians, we know this much about it. It's the book of joy. I mean, that's it. When you go through, through Philippians, if there's one word, a three-letter word that just continues, just pounds at us, it is joy. Be rejoice, rejoice at all times. Be joyful in all things. He just says it over and over and over again. He said, yeah, I suppose it's easier for Paul because he was the greatest apostle and things are going awesome. And he just, you know, how could it be any better? The guy's just, in, he's, he's just tuned in to everything and he just does God's work and God just blesses him. Do you know where he was when he wrote this letter? He was in prison. Oh, what an awesome place to learn about joy. But it was. That's really literally where Paul even got a further 
uh, what would he say, further understanding of what joy was all about. But he says this now with his circumstances, the last part of this letter. He says, now I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. This is Paul saying that. That now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Wow, what a perspective. There, Paul is, I'm sorry, yeah, Paul is really showing us how he is in a perfect state when he's content. Let's go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Uh, the good news is, uh, well, I, I don't know if it's good news or bad news, but I'm just looking at the clock. And what's not going to happen today is we're not going to get finished with this lesson again, so we're going to have to roll in next week. And you say, oh, we're so surprised. And that you're really not, though, right? But the good news is we're having fun while we're doing it. John chapter 12, and let's look at verses 27 and 28. John 12, chapter 27 and 28. Speaking about Jesus himself, in fact, maybe what we should do... Um, yeah, that's okay. We'll start there. Verse 27. Uh, Jesus' words, Now is my soul troubled... Jesus' soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. What is he talking about? He's talking about the upcoming crucifixion. He knew. It wasn't a surprise to him because he had endured the cross for a mission and a statement that God, not just a statement, a purpose that God had designed for Jesus Christ. He lived on this earth for 33 years with one purpose. Ultimately, to glorify God. How? By dying on a cross to save mankind from their sins. That's amazing. And he said, if, I'll tell you what, my soul, this is, Je this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, all man, all God, and he says, my soul is troubled. That's how much pain was, what he, he was preparing himself for. It was, it was heavy on him. And he said, oh, that this hour could pass for me. But watch it again. I want you to read it again. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, look at verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. He was content in the position that he was being placed. He was content to be in the will of God. Now, the next way we find to uh, glorify God is by prayer. By prayer. How do you approach prayer today? What do you think of prayer? When do you use it? First, Last, in between, always, that's great. That's, what, that's literally what, uh, um, uh, in the sense of thanksgiving, we're to give thanks in all things, and we're to pray at all times. In fact, Paul again in, in Philippians says, don't be anxious in anything, but pray about everything. Well, when your life can be that way, when's the last time that you weren't worried or concerned about anything and you prayed about everything? I don't see any hands going up. That's probably right, isn't it? Prayer is down the list of ways. But literally, prayer is a way to glorify God. John chapter 14, let's go there for a moment. He says some really significant things. Jesus does. John 14 and verse 13. <clears throat> verse 12 in particular. Now, there were some things going on here that I, I, I guess I would want to... In fact, let's start the very first part of John. John chapter 14, verse 1. Something had happened that they had finally 
the disciples had got a picture of. He'd been traveling. They'd been traveling with him for three years, and, and they was, you know, we're going to be, we're number one. We're number one. We're going to have the victory over Israel. Finally, we're going to beat the Romans. We're going to be forever. In, Jesus is our master. He's our king. And they're actually fighting a little amongst themselves. Who's going to be in the cabinet? Who's going to be right next to Jesus when they're, when they're the kingdom of the earth that really rules and reigns over everything? That's what's going on. And then you'll find the last part of chapter 13 of John. Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving you. What do you mean you're going to be leaving us? Well, I'm actually going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. Stop saying that stuff, right? That's what Peter said. Don't, do, don't say that because they had no idea what his purpose was. They thought his purpose was to make a kingdom. Jesus said, no, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to leave you. In fact, Peter, just so you know, you're going to deny me three times in the next little while. Oh, no, I'm not. And Jesus in chapter 14 and verse 1 says this, let not your heart be troubled. What do you mean? Don't let your heart be troubled. Do you have a heart that gets troubled once in a while? It's okay to be honest. Mine does. This last week, there was a time or two, man, my heart was troubled. But you know what Jesus said? Don't let your heart be troubled. Now, think of it. It, He has got these disciples surrounding him, and he says, I'm going to take off. You guys are going to be here, but I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with you and guide you and comfort you. We don't want him. We want you, right? But what if Jesus had never died? That's a bad day, right? No Jesus dying, no sins taken care of, no resurrection. We're doomed. But they couldn't see it that way. When Jesus did remove himself, when he left, when he was resurrected and ultimately gave them the final mission, he takes off sitting at the right hand of God, the Holy Spirit then has come to live since Acts chapter 2, permanently within each believer's life. And the Old Testament was different. I wouldn't have wanted to be an Old Testament guy. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't want to wait 120 years for a flood to happen. I wouldn't want the Holy Spirit to just come and go. See, if you were Saul, the Holy Spirit was on you one day, and then when you decided to rebel against God, it was gone. That can't happen to you if you've trusted Christ as Savior. You can have a bad day and the Holy Spirit lives within you. It doesn't leave. It doesn't go anywhere. He's right there coaxing earnestly. In fact, when it's so bad, you don't even know how to pray or what to pray. He's praying for you. It tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. That's powerful stuff, isn't it? He is Jesus Christ. But watch what he says. He continues to say that. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Oops, I'm in John chapter 14. We'll begin reading here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and that way you know. And Thomas said, where are you going? We don't know how to get there. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Very exclusive way, isn't it? But think of that. If God spoke into existence everything that you know about and don't even know about in the entirety of the universe, which no one knows the extremes of it, to think of that, that He just spoke it into existence. And to think now, Jesus Christ has went home, our ultimate home, where our citizenship is, is in heaven if you've trusted Christ as Savior. He's been preparing a place for over 2,000 years. I'm telling you, that must be something. I can't wait, quite honestly. I'm so ready, but He's not ready for me yet. He's still got stuff for me because you know what he wants? He wants my life to glorify him. He wants my life to honor him. He wants others to find him. All of that keeps us right here going full speed ahead, never stopping, continuing to move forward. As he keeps going on in this, con- in this conversation, 
he goes into, now we're skipping down to verse 12. He says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now watch verse 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, there have been those that that's a little tag on, okay? In other words, just get your wish list, write it all down, say it, and at the end, in Jesus' name, amen. What do you think about that? Sounds like a great plan. In fact, there's those that really purport it. They say, that's the ticket, that's the ticket. Ask anything you want to ask, and then just pray in Jesus' name, and it's yours, because Jesus said it. I see some skepticism out there. There is a disclaimer because it says, what does it mean to pray in his name? Well, everything that would be pertinent to who Jesus is. Everything that makes Jesus who he is. And when your will, when your, when your whole thought process, the emotional state of your being, is really surrounding yourself with everything that Jesus was, that he is, then guess what? You pray differently, don't you? You pray in his name. You pray in his will. You want to get your will aligned with his will. That's one of the reasons that I pray. And I want to get it started early. I've got this great big fat problem in front of me. You know, most problems are big fat problems, aren't they? They get bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, especially if we don't go to God first. See, focus there, that focus on the wall. When we're not focused on God, then we're focused on the problem. And the bigger and the more we look at the problem, the bigger that bugger gets. And our God, guess what happens to him? Gets a little smaller. We keep looking at the problem. Oh, that's massive. I don't know where to do that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, what am I going to do? Okay. And you worry your way through it, and you've got plan A, B, C, D, E, X, C, whatever it is, and none of them work. And then, oh, you know what I could do? I could pray about this. See, that's about the time it comes into place, doesn't it? About, about 45 days in, right? No, it's not that bad. But it's far enough in to where you sh why didn't I do this right away? And you know what happens when you start praying about it? Then your will starts to get lined up with God's will. And pretty soon, the perfect place is, is for your will to be lined up with God's will. And guess what happens? Anything you pray happens because it's in God's will. It's a matter of our will getting aligned with God's will. That takes time. That takes prayer. That's the focus of prayer. Not to get what we want, because I don't even know what I want. I'll say I do. You don't know what you want is good for you, though. Right? There's a lot of things I prayed for that God didn't let happen, and I'm saying, thank you, God, for not letting that happen. <laughs> right? After the fact. God knows what He's doing. He's fully and completely in control. And the, further in the, or the quicker that we understand that and we become in cooperation with His will, because we're praying in Jesus' whole being, if you will, then things start to just move along and just move along. And in our prayer life, then, we pray about everything then, don't we? Because we want to see it from God's perspective. And you know what happens when you don't pray? There's this absence of something. There's not as much peace. The joy thing, remember? There's no joy. Why? Because we're not talking to God about it. Because He's fully and completely in control. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. And uh, i got to go somewhere. I've been, I've been wrestling here for, for several minutes because there's a verse that tells... Oh, I know. It's Habakkuk. just popped to me. Habakkuk 1. we got to go there. we got to go there. Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk's all messed up, and we're, we're, we're digressing for a moment, but it, I think it's, it fits here perfectly. Habakkuk chapter 1. I believe we'll find it there. If not, I'm going to dig it out. Habakkuk chapter 1, and that is wrong. Okay, very good. Um, we're going to find it, though, because he is distraught. 
Maybe it's two. Two twelve. No, it's not. Okay, just uh, maybe you should get up and greet your neighbor. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, find, I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll find it. Um, I'm looking for the one that. Shoot, where is that at? Because it helps us. It talks about the God being the everlasting God. Maybe I wrote it down. That would even be better, wouldn't it? Um, no, I wrote, I wrote 1.12. Okay, I've got homework. So next week when you come back, I'll tell you where it is. But this is what he was really saying. He says this. Lord God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. You're an eternal God. So... What are you going to do with this nation right now? Now think of that. And you say, what does that have to do with anything? You know what he's just done? He's recited the fact that we have an eternal, everlasting God that is before we could even think about or know about and beyond what we could even imagine. And that God that is in that space of time, this problem that right here is before us, do you think he can handle that? That's his whole focus. And he says, yes, he can. And I'm going to trust right there because God is that God that is everlasting. There is no problem that can be overwhelming to God. And I'm pretty happy about that because I got some that I think are pretty overwhelming to me. And God says, no problem. You're my child. You trust me. I got you. And I can't believe I can't find it. It's in Habakkuk, trust me, but I'll, I'll find it somewhere. I'll come back next week. Oh, yeah. Very good. Do you know, this is, this is, this is embarrassing. Thank you, Alice. You got extra brownie points. If I go to the book of Nahum and I look to chapter 1 and verse 12, it is not correct. Oh, thank you. Let's go there. I got this, this will cheer me up, actually. I'm so sorry. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1. And I was going to go at 112. Is that right? There it is. There it is. Just as, if you go to the right book, it's just like you go to the right God and it'll, he'll be there. It's amazing, isn't it? I'm so sorry. Here we go. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, and the King James says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. In other words, he's got the Chaldeans, and he says, you know what? Because you're an everlasting God, and I can trust you, it's okay. I'm going to trust you. It's okay. It's okay. Isn't that good? Yeah. And that, guess who gets the glory? God does. God does. I'd like to take you one more, uh, one more session here in the sense of prayer. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, brethren, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. As they're praying for Paul in developing the word of God as it goes out, God is glorified. Let's go to one more. I'm going to go to one, one more in the sense of how can we glorify God. So let you guys review for me a little bit. Let's write these down a second. So what's the, what's the first one? Accept Christ as your Savior. Number two? Trust Him. When He says something in the Word of God, do you believe it? He is glorified. Number three? Excuse me? Fruit? Yeah. Be fruitful. 
Number th four, praise. And that is actually made up of kind of like reciting what he's done and then being thankful for what he has done and what actually in the, is in the future. Number five, prayer glorifies God. Number six, contentment. So how are you doing so far? How are you doing in glorifying or honoring God? Is it resonating? Are you radiating His glory? Those are the ways to do it. Number seven, did I give you seven? Did not. Okay. Let's look at, as you turn to Romans chapter 15, let's discover it. Romans chapter, and this will be our last one. And you say, praise God, that's how to be glorified. <laughs> Bringing this thing to a close. Romans chapter 15. And verse 5, now the God of patience, uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. One of the things that really does glorify God is the sense of unity. Unity. How easy is that today? Why? We're not like-minded. Like Boy, this is deep thinking going on right now. Yeah, exactly. Unity, it's probably one of the things that's the most desperately needed, uh, not only in America in the sense of our populace, but the sense of even within the church. The divisions and, the, and the, uh, just the disputes and all the disruptions and the non-unity, I don't even know if that's a word, is so torn us up, it's amazing. And God is glorified when we are in unity. Now, again, I want to state clearly, though, there are, if, if there are, there are within the church, particularly, doctrinally speaking, if Jesus Christ is not fully God, fully man, then we've got a problem. Anyone that does not believe the doctrinal basics that the Bible speaks of, that's really, really a big deal. It's by grace alone, by, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If we can't get that right, then I'm not talking about unifying just in the sense of ecumenical, just, just kind of, oh, just let's all get along. And, no, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about these little dinky differences. And you know what's behind each and every one of those? Do you know why unity is not reality? What, what makes unity real? What brings unity to happen? What makes unity happen is love. Do you know what love behind love is? Humility. Humility is the basis for love, and love is the basis for unity. You know what's the enemy of all of those things? Pride. Pride and self. Pride will destroy unity. It is its enemy. There is no possible way for unity to take place if pride is effectively uh, present. It can't happen. It's impossible. Pride looks out who? For self at every level. That's what Eve took on that day when she did not trust God anymore. She, took, she let self take over her life. And you know what? You have a, how, many, how many selves do we have in the United States today? 300 million? Self doesn't want unity. Self wants to be in charge. Self wants to win. And you know what, how self and God get along? In heaven, there's no place for self. There's no place for self. Unity. Humility. Love. In fact, back in uh, John, let's go back there for one second, John chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35, Jesus says something that is very profound. How can you tell Christians... How can you tell the difference 
of who they are. Let's look at verse 31. Now, this is a passage that I talked about, but let's read it now together. John, uh, John chapter 13. Now, what has just taken place is uh, they've been at, uh, he's been talking to the disciples about one that would, dis- that would uh, betray him. And now in verse 31, he says this, therefore, when he was gone out, that's Judas Iscariot, he had taken off. He's now on his way to depart to go to the scribes and the Pharisees and those that were, were going to kill Jesus, and he is going to play their game. After he had left, he said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and so straightway glorify him. All of this surrounding the fact, this, the fact of Jesus' sacrifice, his crucifixion upcoming that would take away the sins of the world. Look at verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. A new commandment I give unto you. And this is his parting words, in fact, to these disciples. And what you, I'm not going to take the time to figure it out, but remember during that last supper, there, as they were gathered around that last time of them being together in a communion, they were actually bickering and fighting amongst each other. Who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Huh. What do you think Jesus did? Huh. Right? Huh. We can't even, us 12 can't even get along. Right? And they have the same Jesus for three years, leading them through the, right? They depended on him for everything. They depended on him for food. They depended on him for where to stay. They depended on him on what ship to get in. They depended on him for everything, right? They were totally dependent on him, and now he said he's going away. And they're losing it. And he says, I want to leave this with you. That you love one another, <laughs> and he says... As I have loved you, that you also love one another, and by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. There's a little chorus of that song, they will know we are Christians by our love. I'm trying to say, where did our love go? <laughs> right? Where did our love go? Some of, the, some of the most absent settings of love are in a church. Where did it go? Because humility left as well. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If this mind was in us, it would come back. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Mark this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We've said this a number of times here. You You will live what you believe. You must believe right to live right. So he's saying, get this mind in you, the one that was in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, he was God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things on the earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therein is literally the picture that when we consider others better than ourselves, then guess what happens? Love and unity come back to be real. 
Any place there is humility, there's no room for pride. Where there's pride, there's no room for humility. And humility is not thinking less of ourselves. That's, that's actually, any time that we're, th- in fact, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's not thinking of ourselves at all. Because when we're thinking of ourselves in whatever capacity, then right away, you know what it is? Pride is fully engaged in emitting itself in an ignition stage. Pride is everywhere, isn't it? I see it across our country today. And God has blessed us, but we've lost sight. We've lost sight of the impact that God has had on this nation. And we have become unthankful, unloving, and certainly not unified. Now, is it any wonder that God maybe needs just a little bit more honor and glory than what we're giving Him? Because those are not front row and center anymore, are they? (laughs) But that's His Word. And there's still more. There's a few more to come. And here's here's the other thing I'll say. All of this happens if you want to grow in Christ. If you heard, I'm trying to grow in Christ. I want to become stronger in Him. I want to grow in Christ. I want to get to the next level. Guess what? These things that glorify Him is how you grow in Christ. If you're not doing these things, you're not growing in Christ. Growing in Christ has nothing to do with your position in Christ. Because if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you are justified. You are declared not guilty. You can't get less not guilty. See how weird that sounded? Because your spiritual growth has nothing to do with your position. Once you've trusted Christ, game over or game on, however you want to say it, you are saved and positionally fixed in God, in Christ. Can't be removed. Now, spiritual growth has nothing to do with God's love for you. He couldn't love you any more than He loves you today. In fact, if I do something to try to get more of God's love, and I've done it wrong, you cannot receive any more of God's love than you already have. He loves you as much as He possibly could, and that's saying something because God is infinite. Your spiritual growth has nothing to do with time. In other words, well, I've been saved for 80 years. Well, glory be. What are you waiting for? Let's get moving, right? Time doesn't do that. But your spiritual growth is tied exactly to how God is glorified. When God is being glorified, you are growing. And here's the other kick-in that, so, that is so important. When you are glorifying God by doing those things, there's something that happens that comes as an accessory or something that just comes part of the whole deal. And guess what? You are filled with His joy. Let's find it again one more time. I promise we're going to stop. You guys have given up, but we're going to stop now. John chapter 15 again, and I want you to see something. He's talking about the fruitfulness of of the believers remaining in Jesus Christ, but I want you to see how he ends this passage, or at least this thought process. Again, I would like to read verse 8, talking about God being glorified by the fruit. John 15 verse 8, it says, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. He wants you to bear a lot of fruit so that you can be my disciples. And the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue continue in my love. Do you see how it's all fitting together? If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you. Now, all of this we're talking about the vine and the branch and, and bearing fruit and being in my love, being in Father's love. He says, watch, all of those things, why? 
that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Isn't that spectacular? And by the way, if you're, if you're uh, glorifying God in these things in your life, you've confessed to Him as Lord and Savior, and you're doing that, guess what? You spiritually grow, and the end result is you're full of joy. That is so awesome. I can't, it doesn't look as quite as awesome to you as it is to me, but that's okay. As you ponder these things, it's amazing God's plan for our lives. And you are very unique. You are very special. God has designed you for a specific purpose. You are here, not by accident, because somebody, somewhere, you have been meant to touch through Him. And guess who gets glorified? God does. That's His purpose for us. And I'm excited for a world that God is fully and completely in control of designing people for purposes wherever they might be. And it's amazing how technology now has literally taken messages and words around this globe and that God is glorified? Yes, that's the key. That's the key. To God be the glory. Great things He hath done. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for the day. Thank You for Your love and care. Thank You for showing us how You receive glory. And Father, it's not just a cliche, something that just gets thrown out there. But Father, You deserve our honor, You receive our honor, and You love our honor. Father, may we be ready and open to be all that You want us to be. Thank you for those that are here today. We'd ask that you'd bless them, Father, and their lives. You have direction. You have capacities for them that none of us would know tomorrow or today. There are people in this room that a year from now will be very, very far away. Maybe we'll never return back to this area. We don't know, Father, but we know that you are completely and fully everlasting to everlasting. There's nothing that escapes you that you can fully be with them always. You have declared that. You said that to the disciples on the day that you went to heaven to be with the Father. I am low. I am with you always. That's a promise. Thank you for allowing us to have it. We would ask that each and every one here today would see the unfolding of their lives by you as they become conformed more to the image of your Son. We'd ask that anyone that today here that has not trusted Christ as Savior, that even today in the quietness of their heart, that they would accept Christ as their Savior, confessing their sins, asking to be forgiven. And then, Father, you do the rest. The strength that comes from within is magnificent, magnanimous, out of this world. And the desire to become stronger in you is irresistible. Thank you for that power that comes, that was proven when Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. God, how can we thank you enough for the plan of salvation and then the fulfillment to prove that it was adequate? Father, take these words now and may they resonate within our hearts, our minds, everything that our, that our being is made of. Take us and use us. To you be glory forever and ever. Amen.